Oh yeah, stand up and shout. Welcome to Band Radio Show, coming to you each Monday and Wednesday night at 8 p.m. Black books rock. We are more than just a niche. We are a movement, says Ella Curry of EDC Creations. Prepare for the most stimulating conversation on the planet. Sit back, relax, enjoy another mind-blowing literary experience. Give the gift of knowledge. Put your hands together for your host, Ella D. Curry. Welcome to Band Radio Show. Today is our final day of Black Books Weekend. Tonight we have a She Speaks Truth presentation, and you will meet authors Deneen Milner, Terry Martinez, Sheila Bell Lipsy, and Victoria Christopher Murray. Each one of the authors will be discussing their books, Shelia Bell Lipsy and Terry Martinez will be bringing our She Speaks Truth Master Classes, and I think there's something for everyone in tonight's show. Black Books Weekend is an annual event that plays an important role in the literary community. It brings together hundreds of individuals from different segments of the community and walks of life. These participants dedicate their time and resources to presenting readers, consumers, society with great books that have the potential to uplift, educate, and inspire our communities. Despite the abundance of outstanding literary projects and talented authors, many do not receive the attention and support they deserve. Black Books Weekend aims to address the gap in recognition and appreciation. The event serves as a platform for introducing amazing authors to readers, ensuring that deserving works get the spotlight they need to reach a wider audience. This initiative is more than just a celebration of books. It's a movement towards enriching our communities with diverse voices, diverse voices and stories. Black Books Weekend is committed to making a difference by highlighting the books of authors who bring valuable perspectives and narratives to the forefront of our society. So we're going to kick off tonight's show with Deneen Milliner discussing her book, One Blood. Then we're going to have Shelia Bale Lipsy. Then we'll have Terry Martinez. And we'll have Victoria Christopher Murray. So let's jump right into this show and get it popping. Hello, and welcome to Band Radio Show. I'm your host, Ella Curry. Tonight is another Crown Holders interview with none other than Deneen Milliner. 
a New York Times best-selling author. We're going to discuss her new release, One Blood. One Blood is about three generations of women, their legacy, and their survival. Before we jump right into the show, I want to tell you a little bit about Deneen Milner. She's an award-winning author, journalist, TV host, podcaster, and essayist. Deneen Milner is a New York Times bestselling author, and as I've mentioned, she's an award-winning journalist. And she has helped with books or co-author books with Taraji uh, P. Henson, Steve Harvey, Will Smith. And she has 31 best-selling titles to her name. She's a legendary force in entertainment and publishing circles. As vice president and publisher of her own imprint, she champions the stories of African-American children. Beyond her publishing success, Milner's cultural commentary shines on in MyBrownBaby.com and through her media appearances, including NPR's Speakeasy with Deneen. Her new novel, One Blood, is highly anticipated. It's an exploration of black motherhood set during the black migration era. In- inspired by her own adoption journey, Deneen Milner is here to discuss her latest novel, A Multi-Generational Tale. One Blood is an intimate story of the three women and an examination of black American womanhood, motherhood, and adoption. So join me in welcoming Ms. Deneen Miller to Band Radio Show. Hello, how are you? Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. This story was so incredible and so multifaceted, and I saw so much of my own Southern upbringing and my my story with my grandmothers and great-grandmothers, one being the children are to be seen <laughs> and not heard. <laughs> so I really related to that part. This is it's so much to talk about in this story, so I'm going to try to keep it to about four main topics. But let's start with that cover. Oh, my God. The cover has to have a story. It has a story of its own. So could you tell us about sure. the development of that cover? Sure. I, I, I love this cover so much. The uh, publishing company um, that was working on the book, I, I was first with um, uh, St. Martin's Press, and then the book followed the editor over to Tor Forge. But St. Martin's Press uh, asked me at the time, what artists, what are my dream artists for the cover? And I told them um, Tawny Chapman, T-A-W-N-Y-C-H-A-T-M-O-N, Tawny Chapman. And I follow her on Instagram. She does these beautiful, beautiful photographic images that she then paints on and does all kinds of really cool designs on. And she had this really beautiful series that I followed of little black girls with, like, all this big hair. And then she would take pictures of them, and she would paint uh, these, you know, the the clothes onto them. And then she would take pictures that she found from ancient, you know, African pictures. 
and juxtapose them in their hair, and that was to help us understand um, the connection between the ancestors and how, like, our roots are in our hair. And so I was like, I really, if she let us use one of those pieces, I would be so happy. And so she did. She let us use one of the pieces. She um, recreated some of the pictures in the hair um, to sort of look like what I had envisioned as the characters. Uh, and then she, you know, did, uh, she gave it to us and we put a little razzle dazzle on it with the, we changed the clothing from white to, um, this really beautiful rust. And then the graphic designer and the art director, uh, made the, the words on it and it just, it's just a beautiful, beautiful book. It really is. You just want to have the cover printed and use it for art in the home. I actually have yeah. my heart cover on my coffee table with the rest of my, you know, coffee table books. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And my agent, Victoria Sanders, I love her so much. She's my sister and she's been my agent for well over 20 years. She actually bought me the original artwork that Tawny created. And I have that hanging up on my wall in my in my bourbon room where I sit and drink bourbon and dream up new stories. That's amazing. Now, that leads me to my next question. We know you for co-authoring books with really famous people that, had hit, that have hit every major award-winning book list. We know you for writing your children's book books and having the children's book imprint. But now this is the first time that I know of you writing a novel that's yours, your novel. So tell mm -hmm. us about how you were inspired into writing this story, One Blood, and as much of your personal story as you are willing to share about the story behind the story of One Blood. Sure. So the story behind the story of One Blood is really about my questioning or wanting to have questions, having questions for my birth mother and my mother who raised me. Um, I, you know, like she, she adopted, she and my father adopted me, but I don't refer to them as my adoptive parents. I refer to them as my parents. And my birth mother I refer to as my mother of origin, right? So, um, I, I found out when I was 12 that I was adopted. I was snooping through my parents' papers in their room. They had, like, this little metal box that I used to, you know, like, just kind of go into their room and wanted, I, I wanted to wear my mother's perfume and try on her lipstick and look through their dresser drawers because I've always been nosy. That's why I'm a journalist. And um, I, I found their box that they kept their bills in. And I wanted to see, you know, like what was in this bill box and, you know, how much money were they paying out to this, this, that, and the third, JCPenney's and Sears and all of them. And at the bottom of this box, I found my adoption papers. And it, you know, like it was shocking, of course, 12. And so I thought that I would, I didn't say anything because I thought I would get in trouble for going through their things, first of all. And then second of all, because it had been a secret, I just didn't want to disturb that, that secret. If my parents, um, you know, felt like this was something that they needed to keep close to their chest, I was going to honor that. Uh, and so I never told them that I knew that I was adopted. My mother passed away without knowing that I knew. 
And the day, the evening of the day that we buried my mom, I told my dad that I knew, and he gave me, like, some very rudimentary, basic um, ideas. I mean, not ideas, but facts or details about um, how they came to adopt me and, and how I came to end up at the orphanage where they found me. And that's sort of the beginning of my origin story, or at least it was. And I wanted to play off of that. Like, I always wanted to know um, more about my my mom and sort of her life and her life with her friends. But, you know, just like you said earlier, we I was raised in a generation where you were supposed to be seen and not heard. And so all the questions that I had for my mother, I never really got to ask her because I was a kid, and you don't just walk around asking your mother all her personal business, right? Like, she held that close to her chest. Like, older black people tend to hold um, those kinds of, that kind of information to themselves. And so I never got to ask her, you know, how did you, you know, fall in love with daddy? You know, what was it that um, you know, happened that you couldn't have uh, children um, through childbirth? What happened... Um, that you, uh, you know, to bring you to the decision to actually adopt um, me and my brother. What is it that you um, wished for your life before you um, got married and had kids? What, did you have any other kind of aspirations and ambitions beyond what it was that you ultimately became, which was a wonderful wife and a wonderful mother He worked a blue-collar job and, you know, went to church on Sundays and had a beautiful life, but, like, that, her life wasn't explored in any grand way in the media or in newspapers or magazines, uh, in movies at the time. I felt like when I was growing up, that would help me kind of, um, help us shine a light on her generation beyond sort of what we usually tie into that generation, which is, you know, black women were in the civil rights movement and they were, you know, uh, the foot soldiers of Martin Luther King. And that is the beginning and end of it, right? Or they suffered greatly through, you know, uh, uh, a segregation and then fought for their freedom and then they were cool. And I just felt like there was always so much more to my story, my mother's story than that. And so I wanted to ask her. I never got to. My mother passed away. When I was 34, I had just had my second baby. She was about six weeks old when my when we lost my mom. And, um, you know, though our relationship had started getting to the point where I could ask her questions before I knew it, she was gone. And so the things that I ever, all the things that I wanted to ask my mom, all of the ways that I wanted to, wanted to see her life explored, all of the, the different ways that I feel like, I wanted to honor her generation, her and her and her friends, and even my birth mom and sort of the choices that she may have made. I don't have any, um, you know, details on how she made those the decisions that she made to um, have a baby and to carry the baby to term and then how the baby ended up um, being adopted instead of raised by her. I never got to ask any of those questions of either of them. And so I asked them of my characters, and that's, where one blood came from. And there's some deep conversations that take place in uh, one blood. We just really talk about the desperate human need for longing or freedom, 
physical and mental and emotional safety. We talk about significant others and mothers and in and, and relationships of mothers and daughters. This is one-of-a-kind story. So in your novel, the characters Grace, Dolores, and Ray each represent different generations and experiences. How did you go about creating their distinctive voices and were these voices, uh, each one of these women, inspired by your mom and her friends or someone you knew in history? Are they based mm -hmm. off real-life people, and how did you craft their distinct voices? Well, they're not based on real people per se, but, you know, like I grew up at the Mia Betty Milner, and so, you you know, maybe Dolores is, if there's any one of the characters that, um, you know, kind of speaks to my mom's voice in her generation, it would probably be Dolores. Um, and for my birth mother, I, I didn't know who she was until literally I started doing research for this book, and, and I actually ended up finding my birth mother, which is crazy. But um, her voice and Mama's voice come from just sort of this really – my friends always my, – my southern friends always make fun of me for saying this, but I'm going to say it anyway. I feel like I have – Southern, like I'm a Southerner, even though I was raised in the North, and I feel that way because both of my parents are from the South. My mom's from South Carolina. My dad's from Virginia, and everyone that I grew up around had these Southern drawls and these Southern ways and practiced Southern culture. We were just in Long Island, but, you know, I, I don't look at um, my embrace or my learning about and being a part of the fabric of the southern um, ways um, in the north any differently than I do, say, a Dominican moving from Dominican Republic to, um, you know, Harlem. But, you know, they don't give up their 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 um, their ability to call themselves Dominican, right? Like they're Dominican American, but, you know, they embrace their culture, they speak their language, they, you know, honor their traditions, and I feel like as a northerner raised by southerners that I can claim southern too because that's all I knew growing up. And so when you hear mama's um, uh, accent or you you consider some of the things, the ways that they live, like scenting the house with gardenias under the, the window or, um, you know, the, the, the way that they cook or the way that they heal, the way that Mama is a, a healer and a, a midwife, all of that is a part of my family's story. My, my father's grandmother was a midwife and healer. She's the one who, um, you know, caught every last one of the babies in the family and also healed the community and caught babies all throughout um, Virginia where she lived with her family. And so when the voices that you hear are very much inspired by um, the people that raised me or that I knew or that my parents knew and shared some of their, um, their background with me. Hello, I'm sorry.
So join me in welcoming Sheila E. Bell to the show She Dared to Dream. Hello, Sheila. How are you? How are you? I am wonderful. I'm just glad to be here. Oh, wow. You've been a friend to the show for many years. I I think when I first met you, it may have been like in 2007. It's amazing that uh, you now have 45 books. <laughs> I can't believe it myself. Oh, I can't believe it. I do remember when we first met, and I tell you, it's been a journey. And it's um so you write in several different genres. Was it easy building your writer's brand, your author's brand by writing in different genres, or did you start out with one consistently, consistently, and then build upon it? Well, I actually started out in one uh, consistent genre, which was at that time the Christian fiction genre or faith-based, some people call it, but that was my main genre. And then as the years passed and as I just began to write and and uh, expand my craft, then I ventured into more women's fiction and young adult fiction. And I dabbled in some nonfiction as well. Now, when I met you, you were writing with a house, and since then you have become independently published. Do you like it uh, being on your own, or would you rather be with a house? Well, I've been thinking about that lately. Now, initially, I would have just come out and said, yes, I like being on my own because I don't like depending on, you know, royalties, you know, how much I'm, I mean, I just like to be more in control of my financial part of it. Uh, I like the fact that I just have more freedom to do what I want, to put the books out when I want to put them out, to basically write what I want rather than be bound by a contract. But the other part of that was, of course, in the initial phases of my career, I was just thankful to write for a traditional publisher because that really got my name out there and it got my books distributed. But, you know, in the world of technology today, you know, a lot of that we can, as authors can do on our own. Yes, yes. So in 2009, you founded and held the first Living Your Dream Literary Arts Conference, and that expanded your brand a little bit more. So tell us about the events like um, starting a nonprofit, nonprofit, black writers and book clubs, and holding events. Well, that was just another uh, part of, I say, my literary career, my literary dream, just stepping out there because, you know, writing books, I realized, especially in Memphis, that's where I'm from, a native Memphian. I'm not there now, but anyway, I realized, you know, the uh, importance of literacy and so many of our people, Memphis being 67% African-American, were suffering from illiteracy. So I was t- saying to myself, you know, I'm writing all these books. 
But if people can't read, whether it's for enjoyment or whether it's to learn something or for understanding, if people aren't able to read that, then what good is it for authors like myself or any author? And so that's when I came up to focus on literacy and started the Living Your Dreams conference. And then that branched off into the Black Writers and Book Clubs Literacy Festival that ran in Memphis for a total of five years. And that brought uh, a majority of African-American authors from all genres from across the country to Memphis to highlight literacy. Wow, that is incredible. So tell us about your greatest accomplishment that shaped your career. Would you say it was writing the books or your work in the community? I would say writing the books because, um, and then getting traditionally published. I don't want to leave that out initially because when I first came out, it was it's been twenty two or twenty three years ago now. This time goes by so quickly, but. Uh, when I first signed, well, before I signed with the traditional publisher, then, you know, self-publishing back then, Ella, was frowned upon. You didn't want anybody to know that you didn't have a traditional publishing contract because it didn't validate you. You weren't a real, quote-unquote, author if you didn't have a traditional publishing contract. So that really, uh, when I was signed to... Urban Books, Kensington Urban Books through Kyle Weber's imprint, then that really opened doors for me. And I just have to say it it gave me self-validation, but it also helped put me on the map and, and validated that I did have a talent. So that's where it started from. And then everything else to me has branched off from that. Okay. So what impact do you hope to make with your body of work, and especially since it spreads across several genres? I just want people to, first of all, know me and know my writing. My thing is I write perfect stories about imperfect people like you and me. So I want people to be able to uh, pick up my catalog of literary works and just really sit down and be able to enjoy my stories and find out that they're relatable, true-to-life stories about real folks, real situations like you and I may confront on any time and any daily basis. So that's what I want to be remembered for, for writing life-changing stories and passing on to my grands and great-grands the legacy and the importance of living your dreams. So what are some of the topics that you have touched on during the course of your writing? I've touched on, I believe, a little bit of everything, basically. Uh, like in my young adult books, I, my young adults have, it's not just your typical uh Everything has happy endings, and some of them have social issues. One book, you know, from homelessness to uh, parents that have maybe been addicted to drugs in my um, Christian fiction books. I've been popular for the Master's Wife series that started under my former name, Sheila Lipsy, and then I went on back to my maiden name, Sheila Bell, but started under that, and that covers a lot of topics. Uh, a church family it follows a church family, so it talks a lot about um, people who may be in the church, but that doesn't mean necessarily that they're living and doing according to, well, they're just living life the way we do. They make mistakes and imperfect. So I think that that's a really good series, and I want people to be able to just be impacted 
and we have, uh, you know, and remember the characters that I write about. So with all of that writing and working in the community and consulting and other things that you have really brought into your circle with writing, how do you make space for you in a busy schedule? Because it's easy to become overwhelmed and burnt out when you take on too, put too many irons in the fire. So how do you make space for you, Sheila, in the midst of your busy schedule? I think now it's much easier for me to make to make uh, uh, time for myself because, first of all, I love what I do. I think that's important. I actually love what I do, whether it's editing someone else's work or whether it's coming up with stories that, you know, I feel like God is placed in my spirit for me to write. I love what I do. And now that I am retired, of course, that gives me a lot of extra free time. I'm retired now. I live alone. I thank God I'm able to, you know, still live alone and provide for myself. So I can make my own schedule. Of course, you know, there are days, periods, times when I'm in a funk or I feel mentally drained and weighed down. But that's typical for everyone. And during those times, I have to really, I still find it a little difficult to do, but I have to tell myself it's okay to chill, to rest, to relax. So sometimes I have to remind myself of that because I do love what I do. I can overwork myself. Oh, yes. It's not hard to do, uh, and especially when you're passionate and you want to complete something, you want to see something to the end. So, Sheila, yes. ever since I've known you, you've been very deliberate about encouraging others to live their dreams now. Now, with having a lifelong physical disability, you accept no excuses for not pursuing uh, a person's dreams and desires. I know you have been quoted several times for saying, do not allow life challenges to stop you from fulfilling your divine purpose. Mm -hmm. And I have to ask people all the time, how do the strong superwomen, who, how do they keep that encouragement, to keep that path, and who encourages the encouragers. <laughs> so I know you you believe in living your dreams now. So tell us, how have you dealt with facing challenges with your health and staying relevant and on top of things and following your divine purpose all at the same time? <laughs> You know, I, I just, uh, I guess it's like the Nike thing. I just do it because mm -hmm. I don't look at it that way. You know, having a physical disability, of course, you know, and anybody who really knows me or heard my story about me having uh, 18 months, I mean, at 18 months I had open heart surgery, six months after death at age two I contracted polio and I've dealt with polio all of my life now. And, you know, and I've gone through some really tough challenges in my life. And so, uh, I learned early on that I was supposedly had a type A personality. And I don't know why, but they said a lot of people who had polio back then, they grew up with type A personalities, which means that you, you can't tell me what I can't do. 
And because mm-hmm, that just mm-hmm. makes me even yeah, it makes me even more determined to tell you that I can and you know, and that I'm gonna find a way to do it. And so I just grew up first of all with strong parents too, because I had a mother who and a father. I, you know, grew up with both my parents and, and even though I was away from home in the hospital a lot of the time still, they just instilled in me that I can you know, do just what anybody else could do. And so I just grew up believing that, and and it's a part of me, and I don't accept excuses. And sometimes that can cannot be a good thing, Ella, because I can be hard on people too because I feel like, okay, if I can do it, if I can find a way, then you should be able to do it. And that even comes across anybody whose books I have edited will tell you too, I'm not the easiest editor either because I'm going to push you prod you, drive you, poke you to bring out the best in you. And sometimes that may not come off as being nice. It may be less than tactful. But I've just learned to just not give in to the, the problems of life. Now, I agree with you, Sheila. I think that a lot of the client, my clients may think I'm being really hard on them. But, see, I started out my company – during the time that you spoke of previously when self-publishing mm-hmm. was not well accepted. So I insisted mm-hmm. that every one of my clients writing the book, manufacturing, the product that they brought to market had to rival traditionally published books. I did not want yes. to be able to tell the difference. Right. So I've, I'm known for being very hard and a stickler for things being um, matching protocol. I mean, I want people to have a unique spin, but there are some things like editing, the science of book covers, some of the steps of marketing that you just can't work around, that they, you know, they're there for a reason. So I I understand completely what you're saying that, you know, I don't like accepting excuses either. You can find a way. It may even take a little mm-hmm. more time, but you can always find a way. Yes, I agree. So, Sheila, tonight we're here on She Dared to Dream to discuss your title, Dare to Live Your Life Like It's Golden. So I'm going to turn this segment over to you and allow you to speak to the audience and empower them. Thank you so much, Ella. Well, I just want to share uh, Dare to Live Your Life Like It's Golden. That's something, another one of my, I guess, um, quotes I've taken on for myself because I'm always telling people, live your dreams now. And, you know, it's easy to say live your dreams now, but sometimes you have to take a daring step in order for your dreams to come into full fruition. You have to be able to know within yourself of who you are, what your gifts are, what your talents are, in order to live life like it's golden. You know, I've even written a short book about that. It says um, how to live your life like it's golden, even if there's no pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. And in the word of God, it says that we, he tells us that he's come, that we may have life and have it to the full, to live it abundantly. His plans for us are to prosper us and, and not to harm us. 
And those are two of my favorite Bible verses because it reminds me that I am somebody special. Even though I be have, you know, outward limitations and physical imperfections, as all of us do. All of us have some type of imperfection, but each and every one of us has a gift, a talent. It is something embedded in us that only we can do. Now, yes, do other people write books? Can people write better than Sheila Bell? Yes. Uh, there are people whose stories just jump off the pages and, you know, inspire others where minds may not on a particular subject. Yes. But what I do, what I write, who I is different from anyone else because each one of us are uniquely made. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. And if we can just get that through our minds and into our spirits, so much more can open up for us. There's something inside each of us that's greater. It's, there's even a Bible verse. I used to teach my grandson, and he tells me that to this day. He's grown. And greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. There is something inside you, each one of us, that's greater than any obstacle we face. There's something inside of us that can go through any roadblock that we come across. There's other things inside of us that can break down any setback. We have the ability and the capability to overcome any attack that the enemy of life throws our way. But we have to dare to do it. We must dare to take a step. We cannot live in fear. Another Bible verse says that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power of love and of a sound mind. And those things are the things that keep me going to make me realize that while I'm here on this earth, that I can live life like it's golden. And even in the midst of mistakes, because there are going to be mistakes. But the plan for our life is even bigger than any mistake that we can make. And we're going to make plenty of them. I know I have. And many people may not confess that they have. But I'm telling you, we're going to make mistakes. But even through those mistakes, there's a time that we can learn. There's an opportunity there. There's a lesson there. There's a way for us to learn how to walk better in our own purpose. There's something within those mistakes that we can learn to keep going and not let the fear of what could happen make nothing happen. And a lot of times we do that. We we stalemate ourselves out of fear because this might happen or suppose it doesn't go this way or the last time I tried to do it, I messed up or it backfired. We're thinking about what could happen, and then that means nothing happens. We should never ignore what our heart beats for, whatever that is, whether that's writing, whether that's speaking, whether that's teaching, whether that's being a chef, whether that, whatever it is, we must keep going and learn how to walk in our own purpose. And the next thing as far as living life like it's golden, daring to live is to learn how to prioritize and practice self-care without explaining and making excuses why we doing that. And many of us, especially strong-willed people, you know, we don't allow enough time for us. And you just uh, brought that up earlier when you asked me about, you know, setting time 
apart from myself. But we have to prioritize and practice self-care, and I'm learning how to do that. Each day that I'm allowed to linger here on this earth, I'm learning how to love Sheila more. I'm learning how to practice self-care for Sheila more. Does it always work? Nope. Do I always do a good job? Nope. But I am more aware of it, and I try to do better with myself. And so that leads me to saying do not let the disappointments of life keep you from enjoying this day. Because we look around, especially in this day of social media, and we see people here today and gone today. We'll log in tomorrow and find out someone is no longer with us. Life is precious. Life is short. So I'm learning every day not to let the disappointments, the mistakes, the failures, the the mess-ups, the hiccups of life to keep me down. Yes, I didn't say I'm not going to fall down. I didn't say I don't get depressed sometimes. I didn't say life is perfect. But I'm learning to enjoy each day, to live life like it is golden, to set aside what was wrong and concentrate on the good in life, whether those moments are big or whether they're small. So I want to say to you, another one of my very favorite quotes is, no matter how many dreams you have dreamed or lived, you are never too old to set another goal or to dream another dream. And that's by one of my favorite authors, C.S. Lewis. So I just want to... um, that's a basis about all I have to say about the living your life like it's golden. For us to dare to dream, believe in yourself, never give up, keep going, walk in your own purpose. Do not let a disappointment keep you from enjoying this day. Sheila, I love it. I love it. And that touched on many of the areas we focus on, on She Dare to Dream. Uh, during the course of this series, Some of the things that we're going to touch on throughout the series, She Dared to Dream, there will be 25 different women coming on to speak to us and encourage us from different industries and from different walks of life. And some of the things we'll touch on throughout this series, um, some of the things are knowing what you want. Sit down, get your journal, get your iPad, um, mm-hmm. get your iPad out, get your cell phone out, get and, you know, take notes on Evernote. For me personally, I like to get a journal and write it out. Know what you want. If you can't really define what you want, it's going to be hard to put the rest of the pieces together. And then once you decide what you want, then you got to create a plan of action. And that means, for instance, if you want to write a book, do a little research on how to write a good story, how to write a book. Purchase other books on writing. Take some uh, pod classes. Go to YouTube. Listen to Blog Talk Radio. And so you can learn a little more. Better be an action step. But create a plan of action once you decide if you need more education, if you need to make more money, if you need some partnerships or collaborations. But just create a plan of action. One of the other things that's going to be a big focus of this series is think about the possibilities over your limitations. 
and Sheila has already spoke about that and talked about that. Uh, there are always going to be hurdles to cross. There's going to be mm-hmm. struggles and limitations, but you got to think about the possibilities. And one of those possibilities is you might be able to teach about your limitations, your struggles, your illness, mm-hmm. the things that have been Consider failures in your life and how you overcome them. Just always think about the possibilities. Don't you agree, yes. Sheila? Yes, I do. I do. That is just a powerful statement. I just, and this is such a good thing that you're doing because I think women and all people, I mean, we need something like this, especially in a time such as this when so much discord is going on. We need to be able to um to, you know, have people, mentors and people like I said, people like you, Ella, who go about presenting programs and things like this for us to come together and learn and grow from. I just want people to focus their attention on self for a little bit. And if that's taking care of yourself, bettering your Mm -hmm. health, if it's improving your education, if it's, you know, maybe you need to change your environment, get a better set of friends, get a therapist, get a mentor. But Mm -hmm. I want people to focus more on themselves. And primarily, I want women of a certain age, over 40, you raise your families, you taking care of everyone, you worked your whole life, you've spent time building and growing and scaling. Now it's time to focus your attention, and I want them to take consistent action on making themselves a priority. Oh, yes, yes. Now, one of the other things this program is going to touch on almost every time is social media People show you what they want you to see. You're Mm -hmm. going to see the best of their lives, even if they had to create that scene. But they're going to show you the best of everything. They're going to show you the rewards, the end. But I want people to ignore the comparisons. Don't let imposter syndrome or or chasing after someone else's dream. I want people to just ignore what someone else has accomplished because you really don't know what the struggle was to get there or even oh, if it's yes. real. Even if it's real. So you know, true. you. I want people to avoid looking at everyone else and measuring themselves. I want mm-hmm. people to be 100% sure that they are enough and they're where they should be. And if they're not where they should be, they should pray upon it and seek to move forward in their own timing at their own pace. Oh, yes. Yes. And that and is so, so uh, needed. That is, oh, that is so needed. Yes, because I see people who get depressed or they stop taking Mm -hmm. action or they don't follow their dreams because they're looking at someone else. They're looking at their high school friends all may be making six figures, but I'm just now coming, you know, out of a financial rut. That's okay. Deal with your 
limitations, your struggles, and always know there are other possibilities. You could write yeah. a book about that lean time and then how you became into your came into your harvest season. That could help yeah. someone else, encourage someone else. So I am going to really stress over this series to not sink into that place of comparing yourself to others. The next thing I want to talk about right up under that is accountability. I want us to hold ourselves accountable. We don't need every minute of our day to be wrapped up in life coaches and and success coaches. We can hold ourselves accountable by setting short-term goals and staying focused and, and, you know, create a space for you to let your gifts and talents come to fruition. And Mm -hmm. one of those things to hold yourself accountable, it may be to get up every morning 30 minutes early to journal and pray and meditate. It may Mm -hmm. be to take an extra 30 minutes in the evening to walk around the block until you can build up more and more and more. But just Hold yourself accountable, and that doesn't mean that you have to go out in the public and share anything with with social media or other people. Just be accountable for yourself. Yes, yes. Now, Sheila, how are some ways as a and an author, being an author is a business. So being a businesswoman and being an author and editing and many of your other tasks, how have you held yourself accountable, kept yourself on on your toes and don't, you know, just take a break and just say, you know, I'm just not going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> Most of the time, I mean, again, I'm growing in that area. I really am. I'm still growing. I'm learning how to exhale more. Uh, and enjoying the simpler things that, you know, if I don't want to do anything, then I'm not going to do anything. If I want to stay up in the bed today and read a book or flip the TV, I'm learning how to do that. It doesn't come easy for me, and it probably doesn't come easy for anybody else, you know, who has, who's a strong person, you know, but I have to talk to myself. I have, just like I talk to other people and always trying to give advice to somebody else, I have to do that same thing for me until it becomes part of me. And one of the things you mentioned, like you said, just, you know, holding yourself accountable, I've tried to start walking now. You know, most of the time I'm in my wheelchair, but the past few months as the weather has been changing here in Colorado, that I'm able to get out. At first I could just walk a few steps, and now I'm able to walk maybe about almost half of a block, and I'm like, what? You know, it may take me a while, but I'm saying I'm building that back up, that stamina back up, because I have to think about me. I'm putting Sheila, you know, I'm learning how to put me first. And all those things that you said, Ella, come into play to help people put, you know, into fruition those things, those dreams and goals that they have. Most definitely. I don't know if the audience is aware, but I was very sick and I couldn't speak or talk for like four months. I I couldn't say a word. So for me, I have brought this program back because this allows me to speak more. I live alone, so it's not likely that I'm going to talk to a lot of people. And all of my business takes place online. Unless I'm doing a coaching call, I'm not talking. 
So I created this series to hold myself accountable. I had to learn to speak again and how to talk. So every day for a couple of months, I will be doing these She Dared to Dream shows. So that requires me to speak more. I have also challenged myself to go live, and I announced it online, so now i got to do it. Yes, now that I told people I'm going to be going live weekly, I have to do it. I'm holding myself accountable. The more that I do it, the better I'll speak. My speech will come back, and I I won't just shrink into my shell. i got to hold myself accountable. And that takes me to the next thing is we – we are all going to be fearful. There are going to be failures, as mm-hmm. Sheila talked about. There are going to be things that we have to tackle. But we got to be open to failure and learn how to fail forward. Now, Sheila, that's one yeah. of the things that I'll be asking every person that comes on this show. What does fail forward mean to you? Well, I think fail forward means to me, of course, first of all, that we, I believe at some point in life, we're going to fail. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to falter. But when we fall forward, just think about that, forward. That means you'll go, you're still one step closer. You know, you're one step closer. That's how I began to look at that, falling forward. I'm one step closer. Now, when you fall, actually fall forward, sometimes it can be a little bit more painful. It can hurt a little bit more than if you just had a regular fall. Like when I fell and fractured my femur, I fell forward, and it terrified me. And that's why I'm still in the chair now. That's why I still fear walking, like you may fear talking or learning how to talk again. But I fell forward. I literally fell forward. So I'm just saying, to me, that means I'm still one step close. I just have to get up. It may take me a minute to get up. I may hurt a little bit more, be wounded spiritually a little bit more, but it means getting up, falling forward. You still are one step closer. Do not stop. Keep going. Keep swimming, as they say. Exactly. I mean, life is so unpredictable. I had so many huge plans for 2020. Who knew a pandemic was going to hit us and Mm. kill millions of people? Every family, everybody, a group of people lost somebody. If it wasn't their family members, it was their friends, or it was their spouses, their coworkers. Uh, People lost so much, if, even if they didn't experience human loss, they lost jobs, houses, friends. It, yeah. it was just so much loss. Who could have predicted that? But the thing is, we have to pivot. We got to we got to revise our lives, and 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 even though change can be difficult and unexpected, yeah. we we got to be able to embrace those failures and just kick fear in the butt and fail forward. All those things that hurt us or broke us, it was a lesson in it. It was a lesson to be learned in it. And so I know for me, I don't consider too many things failures. I see, once again, I see the possibilities, and I'm not going to concentrate on the limitations. There has to be Mm -hmm. a way of doing it better. So for me, failing forward means I have fell out my comfort zone. I'm going to take risks. 
I'm going to take the action steps to to move the needle. Now, if am I if may I fall again and fall back, but I'm still going to get up and I'm going to keep going and keep moving until I get yes. where I'm going. And, and, and I see that, and Sheila, I'm sure you see it when you have a a medical issue, like I have Crohn's, and Crohn's is so debilitating. Mm. Uh, it makes you work harder because you got to find a workaround. You you know that you yes. have some yes. things you oh, can't yes. do. you got to find another way. Yes, yes, Ella, that is so true. And, so, and that's the thing, um, so I just want women to be able to, I want not, and not just women, I just want us to be able to, to not give up. And I know this, like you and I are talking and we're discussing these things and the people who are listening, you may, you know, to us, you may think that we're making it sound easy. I've not said it's easy to do. It's not easy to change habits or to change uh, generational curses. It's not always easy to pick yourself back up when you've actually been hurt and wounded and, and mistreated or maybe even abused. Those I mean, We're not making light of those issues. But what I am saying is that even in spite of the worst situations, we still can be accountable and pick ourselves up and move on and learn from it and maybe help somebody else along the way. Yes, yes, and that that is the last segment of the She Dared to Dream. Surround yourself with positive people. I'm going to bring mm-hmm. 25 women to you. Each one of these women has a huge network on social media and mm-hmm. in our communities. Find them. Get to know them. Surround yourself. Go on Spotify and find podcasts with women or groups or whatever uh, it takes to encourage you. Go on Blog Talk Radio and put in the search box whatever it is, if it's music, if it's, if it's art, if it's books, if it's nonprofits, if it's teaching. Put in the search box and find people, find your tribe on social media instead of just really being caught up in all these beef and always talking about the drama of reality TV, find your tribe. Find the people that love what you love. If you like drawing and writing and creating, there's a million groups of people who are just about that. If if dating, if finding a spouse, if renewing your life after divorce or death of a spouse, their support groups, their dating groups, their community groups. But find your tribe, find your people, but surround yourself with positive people, like-minded people. And if you can't find them, create your own. Create your own oh, yeah. groups. Create your own conversations and, and, and pull people in so that you can help. And I hope that when she dared to dream, that we're going to be creating this movement, this wave of people who will regain control and focus of their lives and who will be courageous enough to step forward and say, I am enough and I deserve this, this, and this, and go after it and get it. That is so powerful. I agree. So, Sheila, we're going to end our She Dared to Dream session, but there's one topic that we can never do a show without talking about, and that's faith 
and facing fear. So have you ever just stepped out on faith, just took a leap when you didn't know where you were going to land or what was going to happen next? Have you ever stepped out on faith and combated your worst fear? Yes, but I think that I've done that basically all of my life, you know, um, Mm -hmm. You know, one one obstacle after another, one fear, you know, just even learning how to take steps. Even, again, when I had this fall, this major fall back in 2015, and I had to to really get out of my head, and I was so down and depressed. And uh, But I had to get out of my head. I had to step out on faith. I had to lean on God because couldn't nobody else help me. I had to look within myself and look to him and step out on faith for God to pull me through that. And each and every day, even to this particular day, this very day, he's yet doing that, and I thank him for that. So uh, one obstacle, and this is something that I have not literally done that I want to do, and I'm going to say it to you too, is because there's one thing that I'm so fearful of, and and it's something that a lot of people like, and that's heights (laughs) and the ocean. Yeah, and so I haven't faced my fear of getting up on something real high, and oh, just the thought of it makes my stomach just. And another thing I haven't faced my fear about is the ocean. I stand, I stand on the shore, but I am not one of those that want to go on the cruise with you, Ella. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> so those things I sort of laugh at, but those are really genuine fears of mine that I have not overcome. But just the fear of, you know, of, of things that everyday life presents, I think I can tackle those easier than those two things that I just talked about. <laughs> I, I have a lot of phobias <laughs> because I grew so up in the South. I grew up in the South, and there are at least 10 or 15 kind of animals that can attack you, you know, just by walking down the road. <laughs> so I have lots of phobias. But I think my greatest fear that I had, and I stepped out on faith, and that was starting EDC Creations. Because, see, I was working oh, yeah. at Karibu Bookstore as a buyer. No, I was guaranteed a paycheck every Friday, remember? When I met you, I was yeah. working at a uh, Karibu Books. So I was guaranteed a check. <laughs> and uh, when they closed the bookstore, that meant I didn't have a job. But yes. the owners of the bookstore and the uh, at that time the head of marketing for the bookstore, I had been doing most of what I was doing for EDC Creation, I was doing as part of my job at Karibu. So they encouraged mm-hmm. me to start my own business and do it for myself. And so here we oh, are today. Okay. Here we are and that was my that was my greatest leap of faith is to start a business and have to work for myself. And one of the things that motivated me to do it and stay with it is I had a small child to take care of, Mm -hmm. and I wanted to be able to work from home. So um, the rest is history. (laughs) Oh, that is amazing. That is amazing. So that's what we have to do, manifest this stuff. We have to speak it out and believe it and and just go for it. And like I said, it's not always easy to do. But no, it's not. It's not. 
So, Sheila, thank you so much for joining me on She Dared to Dream. We have a long history together, and I am just so proud of you and all the work that you've done. And it's awesome to have you back here. And I can't wait to share tonight's show with all the women uh, on social media. And I hope that um, my audience will do as instructed, find you, look you up, go find your book Mm -hmm. under Sheila Lipsy, Lipsy. Go find those books and find your new books and to um, just really socialize with you on social media. So can you give us your website address so people can go and find everything else they need to learn about you? Yes, my website address is Sheila Yo Writes Books, SheilaYoWritesBooks.com, or you can go to SheilaEbell.net and it will lead you to my website as well. Okay, thank you, thank you. So, uh, family, I'd like for you to take tonight's show and go and share it with at least 10 people. You never know whose life you're impacting. There are going to be 25 of these She Dared to Dream shows, and I hope that you will listen to each one of them all the way through. Take out your journal. Take out your iPad and take action. Put down the things that you love. Put down the things that you would like more information about. Look them up. Find the speakers. But take action and really move the needle. So my name is Ella Curry. I'm the owner of Black Pearls Magazine, the Black Authors Network radio show. Crown Holders Transmedia, and now I'm also the publisher of Swanye Literary Publications. So please look me up, look them up, and let's create and expand our community. Sheila. Hello, and welcome to She Dared to Dream with Ella D. Curry. Today we have author Terry Martinez joining us to discuss Love Lessons, The Voice After 50. This is going to be an amazing show, and I think it will be a conversation that most people can relate to. So allow me to tell you a little bit about Terry Martinez. Terry also writes under the pen name as Terry D., Terry has spent most of her career working in the healthcare industry and most of the time was spent in information technology. Terry is also a certified life coach and provides training classes on journaling. Terry has always loved to journal and dabble in poetry as well before writing her first novel in 2010. The novel was titled Yesterday's Lies. Since her debut novel, she has written six more novels. She has also published seven self-care journals. Terry also has a blog titled Random Thoughts of Author Terry D. Since 2020, Terry has been working with other authors and poets to help them realize their dreams of publishing their books and poetry through her publishing company, TDUB Publishing. So join me in welcoming Terry Martinez to She Dared to Dream. Hello, Terry. Hello, Ella. How are you? I am doing 
fabulous and excited about tonight's conversation. I always enjoy these master classes, and I think this may be the second or third one with you, but they have all been great. Yes, I've always enjoyed these as well, Ella. So, Love Lessons, The Voice After 50. <laughs> now, that's a great conversation. Uh, now, I, I've had The Voice at 30, and I've had The Voice at 40. <laughs> and let's pray well, I don't go to a third when in my 50s. <laughs> well, listen, Ella, I think I have you beat because I've had The Voice of my 20s, Divorce of my 30s, and now divorce of my 50s. This is number three, and I'm done for sure. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So, Terry, in between the marriages, you had time to write um, seven novels. So tell us how you began in publishing. Um, well, the public, well, honestly, during the pandemic, um, you know, everybody was locked in the house, and everybody had nothing but time on their hands. And... How it actually came about is um, someone that I used to work with um, approached me about working with her on a book. And, you know, she had this book that she wanted to write, and she had never written before. She actually doesn't even like writing. Um, So she asked me to work with her. Initially, she approached me, like, thinking that maybe I could ghostwrite the book for her. But after a few conversations, I realized that that wasn't going to work. Um, so we collaborated on the book, and that's the first time that I actually use uh, Tita Publishing. Tita Publishing is what I've used to self-publish my books, you know, for years. But that was the first time that I actually had someone else under Tita Publishing. And from there, like I said, people just started reaching out, um, and most – well, I can't say most. I've done several poetry books people, um, publish those, um, trying to think if I've done anything other than poetry at this point. I can't think. <laughs> Bring up the website to think. But, yes, it started in 2020 when we were all at home, bored with nothing, you know, I don't say nothing to do. A lot of people were working from home, as was, you know, I. But that's kind of how it all started, Ella. Okay. So now with your books, with the books that you uh, published, I remember when mm-hmm. Yesterday Live came out because we worked yes. on that series with you. So when you mm-hmm. were preparing to put out that book, how did you start? Did you take some classes or workshops or you just sit down and started writing? Ella, I never – I've always journaled. You know, you mentioned that in the in the introduction about me, but – It was never even a thought in my mind to write a book. Um, For me, it happened quite by accident. I was actually at home recovering from surgery, and I had to be off work for six weeks, I think it was. And I was reading a lot, and I was reading, um, actually, I think it was the, um, uh, what's the vampire series, Uh, Twilight. I was reading the Twilight series. And this idea just came into my head about a story. So I, you know, put the, I put the book down I was reading, and I, you know, go over to the computer, and I just started writing the story as it came to me. And um, I probably stayed up really, really late uh, that night doing it. And then I sent it to my cousin the next day, and I said, what do you think about this story? And she said, I think it's great. You need to finish it. 
Um, so that seed was planted, and that's how um, yesterday's live came about. Um, after I wrote it, I didn't really know what to do with it. <laughs> so my, um, yeah, I was like, okay, I wrote the story. Now what? Um, my stepfather actually um, is an author. He's many things, but he had published a book or worked on like a um, anthology before. So he connected me with some people that he knew in the industry, and I ended up getting connected with another author here locally in the Harrisburg area. And at the time, she had a little business where she would authors. Um, she didn't really do it under her publishing company, but she would, you know, pretty much do all of your setup to get you onto Amazon or back then, you know, there were different companies that she used, like Lightning Source and other ones. Um, so she, you know, her and I met, and um, she also, you know, presented me with like three different packages, and I chose one that was within my budget, and we started to work together. She did initially all of my cover designs for the initial three books. Um, she did all of my marketing materials, you know, the bookmarks and the postcards and everything that people did back, you know, in 2010, 2011. And that's, you know, she got me to the Harlem Book Fair. She found other um, events. She connected me with you, Ella. I don't know if you've ever oh, met really? her. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she, you know, part of the package I bought was that she would, you know, get me information about different events happening, um, you know, that particular season. And, and that's kind of how I ended up at uh, the event in Atlanta with you. So that that's how it happened. Wow, that's amazing. So, Terry, a few years ago, it's been more than a few, we went on a silent <laughs> silent retreat with Cheryl Kaiser Jackson. And during that time, we each worked on a project alone for the day, and we would meet in the evenings and talk. Mm -hmm. So during Mm -hmm. that time when we was on that retreat, were you working on books and journals then? I actually, when we were on that retreat, I was working on finishing the second book, which was Today's Truth. So during that retreat, I finished, you know, the first draft of um, today's truth when we were on that retreat. So do you still operate in that fashion? Do you take time and space alone to work on your books, or you just try to fit your writing in your daily schedule? Well, you know, um, leading up to this, you know, after we spoke uh, yesterday, I was, you know, just trying to collect my thoughts. And I am really right now not working on anything for myself. Um, I I can't say that. I have been doing some Kendall Vella um, short stories, but I don't have, like, my next major project. And I'm not sure what direction I want to go in. You know, once I got the – the life coaching certification, and then I started doing the self-care journals, that kind of took me away from what I had been doing. So I really need to think about what my next project is going to be. So, um, But to answer your question, I mean, I have pretty much kept that same type of thing. Um, I have gone, I have booked 
you know, hotel rooms in Maryland and Virginia and West Virginia, sometimes to go away for a weekend to have, you know, that quiet time that I need to kind of pull my thoughts together and, you know, do all of that. So I have continued that type of process for my writing. Okay. So tell us about an accomplishment that has shaped your career. It can be in your uh, healthcare work or technology work or writing. Tell us about an accomplishment that you're proud of that shaped your career. Oh, this one, uh, again, I really wrestled with this, but I think I'm going to have to go with uh, my my career, um, you know, healthcare uh, information technology. Um, and I'm going to use that one, Ella, because I really think that what I was able to accomplish, that set the stage for me to kind of feel like I can do anything I set my mind to. And just to kind of, um, I know you've probably heard some of this before, Ella, but just to kind of set the stage for um, the others listening, you know, I started at this healthcare company, you know, back in 1990. I was young. Um, I didn't have any experience. I started as an entry-level data entry clerk. Um, you know, back in 1990, I think I was like $7.25 an hour or whatever is what I started with. And I also should mention that I do not have a college degree. I did start college, but I didn't finish. Um, so for me to leave that company on my own, of course, in 2017 as a director of information technology making well over six figures was an amazing accomplishment. Um, and And it wasn't like, one morning I woke up and I wasn't the data entry clerk anymore. I mean, there were, you know, opportunities that presented themselves along the way. I worked hard. There were people along the way that saw that there was something in me. They took me under their wing. They mentored me. And that's how I ended up where I ended up in 2017. But it doesn't even end there. You know, a lot of people might say, well, I had all of that success because I was at the same company, and, you know, it's easy to move up. Since I left um, that company in 2017, you know, I took a couple of years off to play in the Dominican Republic, um, and we'll talk about that later. <laughs> but since then, I have been able to get any job I wanted to get. You know, after um, coming out of retirement, so to speak, you know, I did consulting work for a couple of years. I was able to um, get some several different consulting jobs with the state here in Pennsylvania. And one of those consulting jobs that I had um, actually ended up with me being offered a, a position, a full-time position as a state employee. And, you know, I didn't think I wanted to work, you know, quote, unquote, work for someone again. But when I tell you that the package they offered me, I couldn't turn it down. You know, uh -huh. it was like, I, I mean, I could not say no. I mean, the state has wonderful benefits. They have a wonderful retirement program. So that opportunity, and like I said, that the years that I spent at the health insurance company learning, being mentored, and working my way up is really has put me in a position where I do all of the things I do today because if I want to do something, I know that I can make it happen. 
Wow. Now, that's incredible. And that's why I do these shows, She Dare to Dream, because I need people like you to encourage others who who question themselves, who may feel like they have imposter syndrome, who feel like they are always getting ready, prepared to leap and, and in preparation for 10 years instead of just stepping out on faith and getting things done. I love it. I mean, that is just like a powerful statement. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I asked, I, uh-huh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say that that is one of the reasons why I decided to go um, after I left the, uh, did my early retirement in 2017, I went and got my life coaching certification because I really felt that I wanted to do what you just said. I wanted to find a way that I could help people realize, you know, what their goals were and help them understand the process of setting those goals and making sure that you actually reach them. Don't just say, my goal is to do X, Y, Z, and then, like you say, you're sitting on it for 10 years and nothing happens. So that's one of the reasons why I decided to kind of head in that direction. So you, I mentioned um, in your introduction that you have self-care journals. Are they yes. targeted towards that area? They they are. They're really um, – I have a, a series of – self-care journals that are really either for men or women. I have some for each, and they really take you through the process of, you know, learning how to plan, learning how to set goals, being more organized, learning how to really connect um, with yourself. I think the last time uh, you and I spoke, Ella, I was talking about connecting the dots and learning how to do that. So um, it really does kind of take the, the person through that journey of, you know, caring for yourself and understanding how important that is. I also, as kind of a companion to Love Lessons, I have two couples self-care journals um, that are really made for, you know, it could be for new couples, it could be for married couples, people that just got married, people that have been married forever, it doesn't even matter. But it's a really good, it's like a workbook, to kind of take you through making sure you know each other. Um, and if you don't, you will by the time you finish this book. It really takes you through some good exercises and questions and, and things that couples really need to talk about, but they usually don't. Oh, wow. So now let's talk about the book, Love Lessons, because Love Lessons is going to segue us into the program, Love Lessons, Divorce After 50. So tell us about your journey um, through love and about the book, Love Lessons. Okay. So, you know, this really came about because, again, I think one of the previous times I've been on your show, Ella, um, I was talking about Passport Wife, which is a memoir that I wrote um, after meeting husband number three. And, you know, going through what I went through with that relationship. And I always felt that there was going to need to be a sequel to that book or at least to kind of catch people up on what was going on. The um, the blog that you mentioned, um, I actually 
the blog Random Thoughts by author Terry D, there was a little segment that I did for a while called The Ministering Housewife Chronicles. So I felt like after things didn't go the way I wanted them to go with that relationship, I, I needed to kind of tie up that loose end because I had been so public with it. You know, um, it was to the point, Ella, where, you know, I'm in the grocery store here in uh, Harrisburg where I live, and people that I don't even know know me from pictures they've seen on social media or whatever, and they're coming up to me, you know, when, when's, your, you know when's your next blog post? We want to know what's going on. And I realized that I needed to kind of tap those loose ends. So what I did, you know, the end of that relationship, um, I'm just going to be real honest. I don't know how to be any other way. It really broke me. It really, uh-huh. it, it was, it was really hard um, coming to the realization that it wasn't going to work, and knowing that it had been so public, I had to do something. So, as a part of my healing process, I really looked within and tried to figure out, you know, what did I do or what could I have done differently um, to kind of make this work. So. Love Lessons is really, um, I do take the reader through my journey of love, you know, starting back when I was, you know, barely 20, my first marriage, and taking them through, um, you know, current day and just kind of talking about some of the uh, chapters are, you know, what is love? I talk about what that means. And this is all from my perspective. But I do feel, and the feedback that I've gotten thus far from, different folks that have read it is it it really is a good book to make you about your own self and your situation so um what is love is the first chapter the second chapter i talk about expectations and how important those are in a relationship both parties need to understand the expectations communication is huge i think everyone knows that and we say we know that but do we really know how to communicate? Um, chapter four talks about roles. It's very important that each person understands the role that they're going to play in the relationship. And I don't mean, you know, obviously, you know, there's a, a, a woman and a man or two men, two women, whatever. I don't mean that per se, but I mean, like, who's doing, who's responsible for what? Just that. You know, who's responsible for, you know, paying the bills? Who's responsible for, taking care of kids, taking the trash out, whatever, but knowing what those roles are going to be. Um, chapter 5 talks about cultural differences because that was my reality in my last relationship. I think some of the challenges that we faced were because of cultural differences. And then I talk about um, in Chapter 6, wants versus needs. You know, what you want and what you need are two completely different things, and, and having a good understanding of the difference between those two is very, very key. Um, chapter 7 gets a lot of people raising their eyebrows. It's called like versus love and really talking about the difference because there is a difference. You know, in the end, I've realized that I loved my husband, number three. I call him hubby number I loved him, but I did not like him. And uh-uh. people, think, <laughs> people think love is it. Love doesn't take care of everything. And at the end of the day, if you don't like the person, it's going to be a problem. And it did end up being a problem. And then I kind of tie it up with um, a chapter on self-love, and then I talk about now what. So I really kind of take, 
like I said, the readers through all of the different areas and all the different things that I think are key in relationships and kind of telling my story, you know, some things will make you laugh, some things will make you cry. But really um, it shares my journey of how I ended up here where I accept my part of it. I accept that um, I talk about how sometimes in life we might find that things keep happening to us, the same thing keeps happening to us over and over again. Uh And I talk about how a lot of times that's because you didn't learn the lesson the first time. So you're going to keep getting that lesson until you get it. (laughs) Well, I have two things. I have two things you may want to do, Love Lessons Part 2, and that was major for me. And one was finances and money. Mm-hmm. Talking about yeah. finance and money, when we make money, what we're going to do with money. If one partner, especially a woman, makes more money, then mm-hmm. the man, can they mentally handle that? And have some hard conversations about savings and and accounts and insurances and and house payments yeah. and 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 if things fall apart, what prenups, finances. The other one was this is what caused my second divorce is religion. Mm-hmm. I didn't yeah. know. That's never occurred to me. To ask my second husband, I was always in the church. I grew up Pentecostal. Uh, you know, I stopped practicing as a adult, but that's how I grew up. I'm a believer. I never thought to have a conversation with him, and I found out after marriage he was atheist. That was huge for me. I couldn't work with that. And yeah. he didn't see consequences for some of the things he did that I saw was going to lead straight to hell. And like you said, Mm -hmm. I loved him, but I did not Mm -hmm. like him. And not being a believer made me not trust him. Mm -hmm. And you know what, Ella, you're right. Um, I did, you know, in the the couples um, journals that I mentioned, I do touch on the finances and money I believe the religion part is a question because I was talking to someone uh, just the other day about, you know, when you meet somebody and you have some type of connection, you're attracted to them, they're attracted to you, you're all caught up in that, you know, that giddy feeling and it feels so good and new, and you don't even talk about the important things that Uh, you talk about. Like uh. you said, you know, what do you believe, you know, so – in the, the couple's journals, I really try to come up with, like I said, questions, like full pages of questions that you really need to talk to your um, partner about. And also, you know, childhood. You know, sometimes people don't talk about their childhood, but you need to ask that question. You know, if they don't talk about their childhood, well, you know, how come you never talk about your childhood? Getting, you know, you might find there are some deep-seated issues there that down the road, if you don't ask, may rear their ugly head, and it's going to cause problems for you. Oh, so, I, I really, Yeah, so you're right. But uh, finance and religion, like you said, the whole money topic has to be discussed, um, you know, not like on the first date, but at some point before you get all caught up and think, you know, this is the person for you, there need to be some real tough conversations had to make sure that it is going to work. 
Now, I'm just going to admit, I got married very early at 17 mm-hmm. or 18. I can't even remember. It was so long ago. My first marriage, I was 17 or 18. The second marriage, I was 29, about to turn 30. And I'm just going to tell the truth. Both of those mm-hmm. relationships was driven by lust. Every single part of it, I went asking questions. The only questions I wanted to talk about was to get down. So I, <laughs> I went into both of those relationships as blind as can be and just winged it for, you know, a few years. And that is so not the way to be. We didn't have pre-marriage counseling. I didn't talk mm-hmm. to other people. I still don't talk to other people about my relationships. I'm just in it, and I'm just going to deal with it however it flows. So I, my advice to anybody getting in a relationship, living together, long-term, committed marriage, to have conversations. Think outside the bedroom. And I'm, I'm not mm-hmm. ashamed to admit that I didn't, but I can tell you that when I went into my last long-term relationship, last 18 years, it was my mm-hmm. strongest, most healthiest relationship because we were actually friends for two years prior to mm-hmm. getting in a committed, intimate relationship. That's, that is, I mean, absolutely the best way to do it. I, I can't stress that enough, but, you know, both of us, you know, Ella, we're, we're coming from a, a different perspective than, you know, when you're young, you know, I got married the first time. I was young too. I was in high school. You know, you're, you're driven by lust. You know, you're driven by that oh so feel good thing at that point. And, you know, it's easy for me, um, this, at this point in my life to kind of look back. And I really, that's one of the things that I had really hoped. And, you know, it's a really not a long book at all. It's very short. You can read it probably in one setting. But I've really tried to take the readers through every phase along the way, like being honest about what I was thinking, what I was feeling at that time, and really hoping that they focus on the last two chapters where, you know, talking about self-love, how important that is, and, and then the now what? You know, if you've been, if all of us make bad choices along the way, that's a part of life. Um, once you realize that, then what do you do? You know, how do you kind of get out of that cycle? And like you said, it, it's, you know, find someone to be your friend first. Find someone that uh-huh. you like. You know, all that other stuff, you know, will come later. Um, I, I think now we might be getting into the, the divorce after 50, but I have a completely different perspective on all types of relationships at this point. And, I, you know, this one of the um, one person that did a review on Amazon of this book really talked about how this isn't just about love relationships. It's about relationships in general, you know, how to treat, how to communicate, you know, all of that. Um, so even though it's called Love Lessons, there are some things in here that you could, you know, benefit, could benefit you in, in all types of relationships. Because it's really just about respect for yourself, the other person, honesty, communication. You know, expectations, again, is huge. Even with your girlfriends. You know, what, what do you expect from a friend? Um, that, that's important, too. Some friends have different expectations of what that means. 
So, So the divorce rate for people over 50 is increasing. And as we move into this next segment of you and your um, She Dared to Dream conversation on divorce after 50, I would love for us to talk about how to adjust your everyday life after divorce when you're over 50 and also discussing how to grieve because when I left my last marriage, I, it was it was like a death to me. I was grieving because I had put so much in it. And when my life partner passed away in 2020, grief just overcame me. It, it took the best of mm-hmm. me. It got it got the best of me, and it was just a miserable time. And so I had a good support network. I went to therapy. I tried to focus mm-hmm. on myself, but I asked myself two questions after the second divorce and after the death of my partner. What do I care about the most? What what has the most value to me? And I asked, what did I want to do with my life, and what did I want to achieve after the loss of both of them? And so that's why I was really excited about us having this conversation, Love Lessons, Divorce After 50. So, Terry, I'm going to turn it over to you and let you take us into this She Dare to Dream conversation. Okay. Well, you know, I think, um, Ella, you you posed some really good questions, and and those are very valid. You know, how do you adjust? And it is an adjustment, and you mentioned, you know, you were grieving, and it absolutely, you know, I'm still grieving. Um, I'm going to be honest with you. I think that I'm still grieving definitely number three, you know, that's fresh, but there are things, as I was writing this book, there are things that I realized about hubby number one and hubby number two that, you know, if if I could go back, would I do something different? I'm not so sure. But the thing that I think is important, um, Ella, to, to really put out there is everyone's different. Each and every one of you are different, and how you handle this loss, you know, whether it's you doing divorcing or the other person divorced you or, like you said, Ella, in your instance, you know, unfortunately the the death of your partner, you know, how you deal with that and how you grieve, it's, it's going to be different from one person to the next. And I think, you know, we when we are going through something that's not familiar to us, we sometimes try to find someone or something to connect with that seems familiar. Um, this is usually for people's uncharted territory. You know, I have a, a very, very close friend of mine who um, also went through a divorce last year, and her and her husband had been together 30 years, 30 more, 30 plus years. They had been married for 30 years, and the divorce seemed to just come out of nowhere for her. Um, and it's a very different process. You know, I'm grieving this five-year five-year marriage, six-and-a-half-year relationship, she's grieving her life. You know, she grew up with this man. She had children with this man. So every situation is different. And the one thing you mentioned that I have always been a firm believer of counseling. Some people don't believe in therapy. I absolutely believe in therapy because throughout my life, 
I've, you know, gone to therapy here and there. And it's interesting, Ella, when I went through um, this last divorce, like I said, I was completely broken. Um, I didn't go to the therapist that I had been going to for the last 25, 30 years. I went to someone completely new. And it's so funny how life happens. It just so happens that the woman that I ended up with, she had, like, her client base was primarily dealing with people who had a similar situation like mine where, you know, there was an immigration thing involved. So she had a lot of knowledge and understanding about that process, which was good because I needed someone that understood that. And and from the perspective of it was a very lengthy, difficult process to go through. Um, So, again, thinking about, you know, you're over 50, you've gone through this, you know, transition, Later in life, you know, you've lost your your um, spouse, your partner. Like I said, no matter how the loss occurs, it's going to be a different healing process and a different um, just the whole grieving and everything. It, you just need to kind of let it happen naturally. Don't listen to anyone who says, oh, you should be over that by now. Oh, you should do this. Oh, you should do that. Even if they just went through it, it's different. And it's another thing that I mentioned in the book um, is, like Ella, you mentioned, don't talk to your girlfriends about your relationships because if they are not in the relationship with the same person you're in relationship with, so they don't know all the little nuances about the relationship. So I caution people not to do that because sometimes that can wreck a relationship talking to your girlfriends and hearing all of that feedback, don't do it. It has ruined more relationships than it has helped. Trust me. So the same thing when you're going through your transition process or your grieving process, you know, with divorce, you really should be cautious about, you know, listening to a lot of other people um, and their experience because yours is going to be totally different. It really is. It's a, it's a very personal thing, so I really caution people to, you know, feel. One thing that I remember my therapist told me, and I, I use this all the time, is she said those feelings are like, think of them like waves. You know, waves come in and then they go back out. So ride the wave, feel whatever emotions come with that wave because you know it's not going to last forever. And that got me through. It really did. Because there were times when I thought, okay, I'm good. But next thing you know, here comes a wave of emotion or something, you know, a reminder or something, and and I would just lose it all over again. I understand that because I think for me the first year I fought guilt and shame and the shoulda, woulda, couldas if I could have mm-hmm. did more, if I could have called the ambulance earlier, if, if mm-hmm. you know, if I had said this in those last two hours, you know. So I battled myself internally the first year, and I went into therapy. But the other things I think that I dealt with in both, the death of my partner and the last divorce that took me down, thing that was the hardest for me was the um, 
the isolation. I separated myself. Mm-hmm. I closed myself off, and I lost interest into the. I lost interest in the things that I used to love and care about. Like EDC Creation had been my life for over 20 some mm-hmm. years. I stepped down from my own company and let my two assistants run my company. They ran it better than me, actually, because I was so close to it. I had so many limitations and so many restraints where they were free to do whatever they wanted for two years, and they made the company better. But I, I had lost interest in it. I was burnt out. I I wasn't happy with how I looked. I, I didn't feel confident in the decisions I was making. I just really struggled with the, the divorce. And the death, and when people don't realize, the people on the outside looking in, they're the same. They're the mm-hmm. same, at least for me. It, it was yeah. the same for me. I lost, mm-hmm. I lost um, finances and money coming into my house. I lost mm-hmm. sleeping with an intimate relationship both times. Mm-hmm. I had to get back out in the world and find myself. I asked the same questions about those relationships. So anyone that's thinking, you know, divorce is just because it's so common or it's something that just happens every day, they need to rethink that or it hasn't happened to them. Yeah. Because it's not that easy. Right. That is very true. And, you know, in in my particular situation, when you talk about that loneliness, isolation, it's it's so true because, you know, Ella, if you recall, the, you know, I was in the Dominican Republic for a couple of years, but then because of the pandemic, uh, my ex-husband and I, we spent, you know, 18 months apart. I literally couldn't travel there. He couldn't come here. So even though we were married, we spent a lot of time apart. So when he finally got to come here, when he got approved for his visa, he finally came here, you know, that was, like, amazing, right? I'm in heaven. You know, we're back together again. He's here. The goal was, you know, for him to get here. And then to have such a short period of time together um, and then to go, you know, to get just to start getting used to sharing my space with somebody again and all of that, to have that taken away, it, it was just like, wow, you know, I'm here I am again, living in, you know, living in this house by myself again. And that was really Part, and for me, I don't know how you feel, Ella, but I can tell you for me, part of it was I felt shame because I've been married three times and I've been divorced three times. And each of those divorces, I was the one doing the divorcing. And I pride myself on not being a quitter, but how can I say I'm not a quitter when I've divorced these people? Well, let me tell you why or let me tell you how. At the end of the day, I needed my peace back. Like, when I tell you that whole difference between like and love, I love that man's sweaty drawers. I'm not going to lie. But when I tell you when he got here and things were just, first of all, he became a completely different person because this was not, you know, over there they think America is the greatest thing since sliced bread. When he got here and realized that, the main difference was the, the um, climate. He was very disappointed. He was very disappointed in how life is here. He was very and, and one of the things I talk about too is, 
you know, I'm thinking, oh, he's going to get to America and he's going to be, he's just going to love it because we have all these amenities. You know, we have air conditioning in the summertime. We have hot water. We have all of these wonderful things. When somebody has lived all of their life not having those things, they don't really appreciate those things. They don't. He's never uh-huh. had hot water without a ticket. He didn't care about no hot water. He didn't care about a lot of things that I thought he was going to immediately love about living here. He didn't care. So, you know, that was kind of a reality check, you know, for me as well with that whole process. But when I tell you, when it got to the point where I did not like being in my own house, when I just when I found that I was purposely leaving and going and just doing whatever I could do not to be at home with him, no, he got to go because oh, I need peace in my house. <laughs> I, peace in my I house. think yeah. for me, uh, the difference between my divorce at 40 and losing my spouse at 50 was mm-hmm. my sense of purpose. Um, mm-hmm. I lost my sense of purpose. I lost me. If someone had asked me about my style of clothes, my favorite colors, I couldn't tell them because for that 20 years, my life had been about my daughter and my spouse and everything about my business. I didn't know who Ella was. So for yeah. me, divorce after 50 means picking up or maybe finding a new sense of purpose, and having mm-hmm. a total, complete mental well-being check. Because yes. like your husband, some things at 50 didn't make, didn't matter anymore, didn't make sense anymore, mm-hmm. wasn't important to me anymore. I had a different yes. sense of purpose. I I don't know. I felt like at 50, I want to serve more. I want to teach. I have a, a book club called the Sankofa Literary Society. The Sankofa concept is you reach back and bring others forward. You reach back and teach those behind you. And I really take that seriously. And, uh, and that's where I was at after 50. So mm-hmm. what are your take? What's your take on, especially being a life coach, on grasping that new mental well-being, that sense of self and self-love and that new sense of purpose? Now, let me tell you, a lot of, I'm 57. A lot of my girlfriends mm-hmm. are in the same group. They've been in corporate America. They've been working 30 years. They've raised kids, mm-hmm. kids in college. They have dealt with partners, divorces. Almost every one of my circles, 10 of us, we've been together since the third grade, almost every one of them have started a new chapter of life, new baking businesses. One became a um, mortuary scientist. Uh, I have a new magazine. Uh, one of them became a fitness trainer and coach and yoga master. So uh, each one of the, every single one of us, one started a daycare. All of us mm-hmm. did something new. So what's your take on that? And how, how do you feel is is that normal i mean is it common maybe not normal maybe common yes and and actually you know what i've um talked i've had a few of my life life coaching clients who have been in this you know empty nest 
syndrome or whatever, and it could be because the kids left and, you know, they're grown now or, like you said, divorced. But um, it is absolutely the most important thing is to rediscover yourself or remake yourself. It can go either way. Um, a lot of women, you know, 50-plus, they have lived their lives for their children, for their spouses, for their careers, and when they get you know, when they get to this point in their life and they have this major life change, um, no matter what it's for, they do find themselves asking themselves, you know, what's next for me? And and I'm so happy, Ella, to hear that your circle of friends, you know, they've kind of found their way into doing some things that maybe, A, they never thought they could do. Maybe it's not even something they thought about before, but they have interest in it now and they're doing it. That is all, like, the best way to kind of get through this is looking at it like a new chapter in your life. You know, what what's going to be in this chapter of your life? You know, what's happening back there is gone. You know, not that you don't remember it and not that it doesn't shape who you are moving forward, but, you know, you have to rediscover yourself. And I hate to say it like this because it sounds so selfish, but – when your kids are grown, when you're, you know, you've worked the career and maybe you're looking for something else to do and your your spouse is, you know, you're no longer together with your spouse no matter what the reason is, it's okay to be a little selfish because the reality is women, we are caregivers. You know, we take care of the husbands, the spouses. We take care of the children. We take care of the house. We take care of everything. So when we get to this point in our lives and we find ourselves alone, we got to take care of ourselves because who else is going to do it? Oh, yeah. So, I think, yeah. you know, I think it sounds selfish, and I'm not saying you don't care about anybody because the one thing um, that I did put in the, um, in the acknowledgement of my book is that, you know, I really believe that the biggest lesson I learned over the past year is that the love I've been searching for has been right in front of me the whole time. And what I mean by that is my circle, which is very small, I always tease people say, I don't have a circle, I have a little dot. That's how small it is. But <laughs> my circle, they came through. Like, And when I say they came through, I mean even though now we can talk about it openly and most people in my little circle knew this relationship wasn't going to work, and I think, Ellie, you might have been one of those people too, and that's okay. Um, everybody kind of knew this wasn't going to work, but it, when it did fall apart and I was so broken, they were there to just encourage me and to lift me up. Nobody was standing over me when I was on the ground broken saying, I told you, you should have never. And I do want to say that even though we are divorced, I don't have any bad feelings about him at all. Even though it appears he just wanted to get his green card, which everybody told me in the beginning, you know what? That's cool. I know my intentions for marrying him were pure. If his weren't, he's gonna have to. He's gonna have to, uh, you know, talk to God about that when when it's his turn to do that. But I know why I married him, and I know why I did all the things that I did. And that's another thing you really have to remember: the only person you can change. Is you? Uh huh. Absolutely, uh-huh. you can't change anybody else. You can't. 
So now I think in any oh go ahead go ahead no no you go ahead I think in any relationship you have to be open to failure and in my life mm-hmm. at this point I don't consider too many things failures I just consider them as uh, lessons I learned something new um, now in your instance in this um, divorce you may have learned that. It, you need to prioritize you, that you may need yep. to speak your truth instead of taking other people's feelings into consideration. It's, it's always mm-hmm. lessons to be learned there. So I feel like I fail forward. <laughs> yes, yes, and I love that. And actually, you know, you, there really can't be success without some failures um, because, I see that quote unquote failure and I and I that word bothers me sometimes but I, I understand the purpose for it. But to me it's like, you know, you have an idea, you wanna do something so you try it and it doesn't work out the way you want to do it. So you you tweak it a little bit and you make some adjustments and you do it again. Until you get it right. Um, that's always been my attitude. Now I know there are some people that aren't like that. You know, if they try something and it doesn't work, they're done. They don't want to do it anymore. Uh-huh. Too hard. But that that is not me. Um, so I do like, um, you know, what you put about talking about failing forward. It means just that. It's okay to not accomplish something exactly the way you wanted to, but keep moving forward. You know, don't let it yes. stop you getting your past. And certainly don't let it make you go backwards. Keep moving forward. And, and you know, there's something else may come out of, you know, that fail forward scenario for you. You know, I think about um, sometimes, Ella, I'm sure you've seen memes and people talk about all the time that, you know, sometimes we have this idea of what we want. And, you know, sometimes God's plans are a lot bigger than ours. And what he has in store for us is a lot bigger than anything we could have imagined. Um, but at the time, it's like, well, gosh, you know, why didn't that work out for me? You know, why didn't I get that? Because there's something better down the road. But you got to keep moving down the road to get to that. Exactly. <laughs> you know, so with these She Dare to Dream conversations, master classes, I want people to concentrate and focus more on the possibilities versus limitations. And yes. that's why I started this for women over 40. Let's think about all the possibilities and not the things mm-hmm. that limit us. Uh, if you think it's money, there are so many ways to do things. I just talked to, I had a coaching session with a guy yesterday, and his problem was money. I said, well, then do ebooks Instead of publishing a printed mm-hmm. book, then do a ebook. Do Kindlevella. Do chapters. If it's time, wake up 30 minutes earlier or stay Awake an hour later. I mean, so concentrate on the possibilities. If it's something you want to do, uh, get an education about it. Go out and get a podcast, take a class, a webinar, uh, you know, do a workshop to get the education. But I want people to focus their attention on the possibilities and not so much the limitations. And one of the other things I want people to do is take accountability. 
I, in mm-hmm. my younger life, I blamed the whole world for every shortcoming, everything that happened to me. Now I get to make a decision about everything that happens in my life and take accountability. Mm-hmm. If you said you wanted to open a shop for the last 10 years, if that shop is not open, there's nothing in the world. There's nobody's fault. No one can take the blame for that but you. So, ladies, let's take accountability and she dared to dream. If you dream it, you can do it. You can claim it. If you will be accountable for getting up and taking action, setting some goals. Then when you set the goals, set the actions that need to be taken. Hold yourself accountable. And the one other thing that with these um, classes she dared to dream, I want people to focus on what you can control and having the courage to do it. Uh, And we're talking about divorce over 50. We cannot control a man. We cannot control how they treat us or how uh, they feel about us, but we can show up for ourselves. And I'm proud Mm -hmm. of you, Terry, for saying Enough is a damn enough. I'm out and, 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 yep. in, in five years and not be 15 years later broken and bitter and, you know, have missed the opportunity to look at the mm-hmm. possibilities. Yep, absolutely. Ella. I agree with everything you said. And, you know, that's the thing. You know, the reality is I could still be married to one, hubby one, two, or three today. If I hadn't taken that stand and said, like you said, enough is enough. And, you know, really um, for uh, hubby number three, it was just a matter of we just weren't compatible. I mean, at the end of the day, we just were not compatible. Um, And not just that we weren't compatible, but he really didn't understand that it's okay to kind of give a little. I mean, the one, the, the most glaring thing I will say is when I met this man, I didn't know Spanish. You know, now I speak, read, all of that Spanish very well. He still doesn't know English. I care enough about him to want to learn the language so I can communicate with him, but he did not care enough about me to want to learn my language so he can communicate with me. So that, that was very, very telling, you know, if you think about it. So I was the one doing all of the work, and I was tired. I just, you know, you, one person cannot carry a relationship, and no matter how much I loved him, I could not love enough for the both of us to make that relationship work. I couldn't. And that, you know. If the relationship is not fulfilling, if it's not filled with purpose, you're not satisfied, you're not feeling in a safe place, it's time to rel- mm-hmm. to leave that relationship, period. Be a friendship. It can even be your family. Right. If you're not feeling fulfilled and safe, it's time to go. Yep. It's just time to go. And uh, if that I can be a partnership. That can be anything in your life. If you mm-hmm. are not feeling fulfilled, full of purpose, and satisfied, it's time to go. And so with life and love over 50, I think now the the, the one 
thing that I would have to say to any woman that's living and loving over 50 is speak your truth. Don't hesitate. Mm-hmm. Don't suck it back in. Don't, you know, don't lose your shine. Don't, you know, shy away. Step to the front. Take accountability for your mental health. <laughs> Take mm-hmm. accountability Absolutely. for your self-love and care and speak your truth, whatever that may be. And you know what, Terry, and I've been married twice and in one long-term mm-hmm. relationship, and the one thing I can say to every young woman, is open your mouth and ask. If you don't mm-hmm. ask for a, a lot of things, you won't get it. If you don't ask for respect, if you don't ask for time, if you don't mm-hmm. ask for intimacy, a lot of times you're just not going to get it. Yep. So open your mouth and ask. Not mm-hmm. scream and holler, not nag. But have a good, productive conversation and ask for what you want and stand your ground. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. So, Terry, I have loved this conversation, and I love all of my share. Um, she dared to dream. She dared to dream conversations. I love each and every one of them, and I uh, appreciate you coming on to talk about this. So how can people get your couple's journals, and how can they get your book, Love Lessons, so that they can continue this conversation? Because that's what I want, people to take these master classes, these She Dared to Dream conversations, and I want them to mm-hmm. take them take them farther and take them out in the community, their homes, their relationships, take them offline. So how can people reach you to get the book, to get the journals, and maybe even some coaching classes? Yes, absolutely. So um, the books, I do want to say, all, you know, the books are available on Amazon, but I try to direct people to my website, which is uh, com. And then um, for the life coaching or the self-care journal, those are actually on the um, my Cheeto publishing website. But if you go to authorcharity.com, it will direct you to um, Cheeto publishing. So contact me there. There is a contact me uh, page there. If you get to the site and you're confused, you're not sure what to do, please just contact me and I will help you get the books, or like Ella said, if anyone's interested in, you know, life coaching, and then I also do um, journaling workshops, which we didn't get to talk about that. I know our time is up, but one of the things that has been helpful for me is journaling about what I'm feeling, and it's so therapeutic for me to go back and sometimes read how far I've come, especially on those days when I don't think I've really made a lot of progress, um, I can go back and say, you know what, you have made a lot of progress, girl. <laughs> so that's why I do it. Oh, yes, I love journaling. So, Terry, I want to thank you so much for joining us, and I ask each and everyone that's listening to the show to go out and tell at least 10 people about the show. You never know 
who needs help and empowerment. And that's what she dared to dream is all about, the classes to share with her sister friends. So we're going to end right here, Terry, but I hope all of my listeners will meet you on your social media pages and your website to expand the conversation, to elevate the conversation. And thank you so much for joining us this evening. Well, thank you for having me, Ella. I appreciate it.